Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. I'm Mike Freeman, and along with my good friend and co-host, Tyler Gould, we're excited to welcome you to our little podcast project. Tyler and I are just a couple of middle-aged husbands and dads driven to live our best lives. We want to be better every day, so here we'll be sitting down with great people, not famous people, but great people that we admire, to learn their secret to living the rich life. Probably not the rich life you're thinking of. Our guests come in humbled and surprised at the invitation and hopefully leave feeling proud and grateful, realizing just how good they really have it. So pull up a chair, stay a while, and raise a glass with us as we toast our guests to the richest men in town. All right, Tyler Gould, episode 102. 102 just dropped, and we had an amazing time with a guy named Travis Ritchie. And it's like six degrees of separation how Travis Ritchie ends up on the richest men in town, but man, are we grateful that he did. What is sticking out to you? What's bouncing around in your mind after our time tonight with Travis? I mean, honestly, it's like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I I sort of feel like, you know, his story is, is amazing. His story is amazing. The background of his story is amazing. But what's more amazing is what Travis is doing now to impact the lives of other people. And honestly, I I feel I'm super fired up after listening to him because I want to do more, right? Yeah. After talking Loud to Travis. Clear. Loud yeah. and clear. Yeah. What Travis Ritchie is doing with the hand that he's been dealt. So amazing, man. Brother is maximizing things. Yeah. And so I'm looking at my hand and I'm like, hmm, maybe there's a little bit more that I could do with the things that God has given me. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, I, I love the discussion tonight that, that, you know, was around programming was around choosing greatness was around, you know, some of these things that, that he says, and, and he says it passionately and he believes it. And it's stuff that he's worked in his own life that he's passing on to other people and man results. I, yeah. I just felt like, dude, like I, he's getting, he's getting results, but it's all faith based. Yeah. Right. It's centered on true principles. And I, I mean, I, I think he shouts out to some people that had significant impacts on his life adversities. He highlights them as assets to his life. Right. Yeah. And it's just this idea of like, Hey, Things happen, but there's an amazing, you know, but God yeah. can do some things and make all of this work out for my good. Yeah, I, I love that idea of filling your time with things you don't regret, you know. Look, Mike. Tonight, Which involves him laying on the ground every morning playing Barbies with his girls. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I got to tell you, I I, I loved every minute of, of our time with, with Travis tonight. I'm grateful for for you doing some legwork to get Travis on here. I'm grateful for Portia Louder. I want to shout Portia out Louder. Portia Louder, connecting us with Travis and, and, and the work that he's doing. I mean, the, this, this richest man in town project. Um, I hope that our listeners listen to this and, and feel like they have some ownership in this network of great people that are teaching lessons because it is our listeners network as much as it is ours. Yeah. And I would throw out there the question, are we free? Yeah. Because yeah. this is now the second person we've talked to. You know, teaser, right? Spoiler alert. Travis's story runs 
runs through a prison. Yeah. And this is the second time we've had a conversation with in prison people about freedom yeah. and what they learn about identity. And if there are people, ourselves included, that are struggling with things that are holding us back and we're not free, life 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Turn the page so to tomorrow. Yeah. And do something about it. Cause that's what Travis, Travis would call you on it. Right. Yeah. Travis would be like, what do you want from life? I mean, I got the fire in the belly. He's it's contagious and our, our listeners are going to love this. So enough of us, we got to connect our listeners, our richest men in town village with Travis Ritchie. The lessons he drops are incredible. They're relevant. And they're exactly what we need to be to to be our best, right? In 2022 with the challenges that are before us. So to to Mr. Richie, you keep going. Man, he's he's blowing up the curriculum across the country in America's prisons. Amazing. He believes that he has been given the experiences he's been given to make a difference with those. Uh, with 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 those people that are just as smart, just as capable, right? That need love, that need true principles in their life. And man, Travis Ritchie, I cannot be more excited to share this with our little world. So uh, to to everyone, we really really hope that you will tune in, grab a piece of paper, grab a pencil, pull up a chair, and enjoy episode one hundred and two of the richest men in town with Travis Ritchie. How's your missionary? Uh, he's doing great, man. He's loving life and Brazil's treating him good. And he's in a trio training a new missionary. And so things are, things are good, man. Yeah. How's, how about yours? Uh, yeah, no, no complaints there. Uh, she's, she's doing well. Loving her area, had six or seven friends come to church. So, you know, it's good. Nice, dude. That's what I'm talking about. So uh, Monday, I have an opportunity. Uh, I had an opportunity a couple of days ago to uh, sit down with my inspiration, right? With my professional why, with the person who got me uh, into teaching, right? The way she taught me, the impact that she had on my life inspired me to dedicate my life to education. I reached out to her on Facebook and said, let's get together. Nancy Hickson from Rebel of high school. And we sat down and had lunch, man. It was cool. Nice, man. That's a, uh, that's a cool thing. You've been, uh, you've been kind of on that kick and over the past six, nine months of just I've been kind of trying to hunt her, hunt, hunt her down. And uh, she finally checked her messenger <laughs> messages on Facebook and, and we were able to connect and, you know, three hours later, it was kind of cool. That's awesome, man. That's that's really that's really fun. That's rad, man. I, I so it sounds like uh, she's a good candidate for RMIT, is what you're trying to tell me. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, I got I, I got some I got some guests in the hopper that I think you're going to be excited about. Yeah, I, I'm excited about what we have upcoming, man. And there's a lot of good stuff happening. We've got some 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 guests that we know, some guests that we don't know. And uh, it's going to be, we got a, we got a fun couple months uh, on the schedule here for RMIT. Well, well, this week we have a guest, a, a guest who is a friend, colleague, 
of another guest, right? So Portia Lauder. Yeah. Uh, Portia Lauder has been working closely with Travis Ritchie and Travis Ritchie is going to be joining us tonight. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about getting to know Travis. I don't know him much. He's got he's got a couple different projects that he works on, and yeah, and uh, he seems like a busy guy. And and look, anybody that it, when Portia comes to us and says, "Hey, this is a this is a good one to talk to," then I don't really ask too many questions, right? We just kind of nod our heads and smile and say, "Okay, let's go." Well, and two, uh, Travis is doing Portia solid because Travis's work involves providing educational resources for folks that are incarcerated and it just so happened that travis made it possible for incarcerated people to get access to porsche's book yeah i saw that that's a, that's exciting stuff for free uh, we should say yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah yeah so that's very cool that's very cool yeah, i love what they're i love what they're doing man i love what they're doing that's a uh, change in the world you know especially I, porsche's story can you imagine porsche's story landing in the hearts and minds of folks that she that she uh that she spent in time with uh in her time in prison yeah it's very cool i'm uh second chances man second chances that's what it's all about man life is full of second chances and we we need and to third and fourth <laughs> yeah, and we got to take them you know when they when they come so yeah that's uh it's good stuff it's good stuff so what else is on your mind mike what else is going on? Oh, hmm. I mean, look, I'm excited. I'm getting got... chubby. I'm getting chubby again. <laughs> Come on, man. You got well, I mean, to. The, the kid, the family's gone, right? So yeah. it's just a whole lot of me and chocolate milk, and it's bad. It's <laughs> you bad. know what's funny, man? It's like when my family is gone, I actually drop pounds. That's you it. Do. Yeah, I do. I do. Because I find like I I can I can subsist on very little if I you know if I want to give it a go, but when everyone's around and there's like five different people eating five different things, it's like a buffet. Like I have to go and sample <laughs> all five, you know. So <laughs> yeah, there's been some sampling. There's been some sampling happening, and uh, you know, I stepped on, and we'll we'll go ahead and report. I think the low. So a couple month ago two ago went down to mexico at 225 yeah uh, you know and 225 let's put that in perspective a long long time ago the freemans and the goulds and some other folks went to hawaii and i think that i was at 216 so that's like the holy grail right well i do remember that yeah i'm at 232 right now so you know hey that's not uh it's not too far off the mark i gotta figure something out I, uh, you know, I, I recently had an opportunity to shoot some TV and social media commercials for, uh, for an election we have happening up here in Shasta County, and we'll avoid that topic altogether. But I had a chance to review my video shots, and it's like, hmm, that polo shirt was working hard. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it reminded me of a certain T-ball coach back in the day, right? Well, TJ. <laughs> uh like, shout out to the yeah. orioles organization you know so <laughs> hey we don't need to drop names because he could be a friend of the program i don't know uh, he i'm sure he is and quite frankly uh i would i would welcome him as a friend, friend yeah of the program. welcome great guy yeah. anybody who's going to sacrifice their time to coach my kid in t-ball uh gets a gold star that's for sure for, for two weeks and then he quit all right 
And then, and, it well, was, you know. and then it was coached by committee. You know. yeah, that's true. You know? But hey, that's two weeks of time. Some people don't don't sacrifice any, you know. Hey, and I like the intent, right? Yeah, that's like I'm right. My coach, we're gonna have the best time ever, and it's like uh, after a couple yeah. weeks. Uh, sorry, that doesn't work out. These kids are terrible. I can't coach this. This is a nightmare. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, well, well, it does come with some challenges that you don't see coming. Yeah, for the 100%. uninitiated, t-ball could be rough. Absolutely. Look, I mean. You know, you you watch these pro. I'm a I'm a sports fan, right? So you watch all these these sports teams, and and you think, man, what a what a tough job that is. But when you look at six year olds that can't hit a ball off of a stick, you know, that, that's frustrating, man. That's I don't frustrating. know if you remember the time that I had snack responsibilities, right? <laughs> so we're out there in the outfield and we're watching the game and. It, and they're done hitting. So I'm like, I run out there with my cooler. I got my orange wedges the whole bit. <laughs> and the coach is like, hey, bro, we got another inning. <laughs> hey, look, in, in all fairness, though, who knew that uh, it, there was no telling when those games were going to end? Was it three innings? <laughs> what is it, seven innings? I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> they're eternal. To all, you, to all you parents out there doing soccer, doing t-ball, props to you. Keep going. Yeah, that's uh, right, man. I, I would not necessarily say that, you know, when we ask that question, give us a memory of a moment that where life is truly rich. I'm not sure if T-ball was that. Uh, but I got to tell you, man, the other day, you know how your phone just kind of teases you with this, like these memories, right? Yeah. Uh, this, this memory pops up and it is our kids of that age playing T-ball with these tiny kids with these massive helmets on, man. And I gotta be, I gotta be honest. I looked at that and I felt pretty rich to have been part of that, man. It was, yeah, it's it's nostalgic when you're in it. Maybe not when you're in it. Maybe not. You're right. 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 It's it's a little difficult. Yeah. What's going on guys. How are you? How are you, man? (laughs) Hey, welcome to the richest men in town, man. Sorry to keep you waiting. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Fantastic, man. Where where are you at? Where where are you at, Travis? What what part of the country are you in right now? Uh, Los Angeles. L.A. All right, dude. All right. So we're all California. We've got the state covered, I guess, top to bottom. Indeed, we do. Indeed, we do. If I wish I could figure this weather out, though, it's been crazy. I know. What's it What's it like in in L.A.? Is it uh, today, mild? Today it's hot. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's been goofy. So. Yeah, last week in San Diego it was hot. This this week it's been like in the sixties. So I don't know. Super weird. Yeah. Kind well, Travis, I'm Mike. That's that's Tyler. So uh, I'm sorry we weren't able to catch on a pre-show call, but uh, we are so excited to have an opportunity to have you on board with the uh, Richest Men in Town podcast. And we've got some some mutual friends. I see that you've been on the Cultural Hall podcast, and uh, Portia Louder, I think, is our connection right where uh fantastic isn't she you've been yeah, yeah she's amazing absolutely. you've been working closely with her lately i think i have been yeah yeah we yes yeah we're doing some fun stuff are you guys lds we yes. are yeah okay yeah so so um Porsche and i are doing the the prison videos for the for the church for the website and the app okay cool yeah pretty awesome. so and she's uh, she's just she has an incredible story. We've got a conference that we're doing in June and actually in Boise. And uh, 
and she's going to come speak at it. She's fantastic. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. So how did you and Portia connect? Uh, in, in Salt Lake. So, um, when I was, I just happened to be filming the same day that she was filming, um, down at church headquarters in Salt Lake and just kind of kicked it off. You know, I, I, you know, she had, she had seen our stuff and knew who I was. And, um, I just said, you know, I, I, there's no females in the space that are really, really, really killing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's just really kind of no nice way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So, but so yeah. can we talk, can we, can I ask a little bit about, uh, what is, what is the church doing with the video series? Like, what is that? What is that work? What's the purpose? So if you go on, uh, let's see, I've got my airplane mode on. We'll see if I can pull it up. Okay. So you go into the, yeah, Jacob here. So if you go into the church app, uh-huh. um, most people didn't even know this exists. This little life help. Yeah. Okay. So if you go into life help, um, the church, you know, addiction, disability, finance, pornography, you know, the whole nine here. And, and then if you go into them, they've got like about and church leadership and help. And anyhow, the church is doing an, an incarceration series for prison ministry. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so, um, Portia and I were asked to, uh, to, she was asked to tell her story and I was asked to create the curriculum for the church for kind of onboarding uh, board and branch and stake leaders to have them understand what to look for, what you need, who to call, why to call some of the different language, lingo, verbiage. So we just both were in Salt Lake on the same day. Wow. I love it, man. So Travis, how, tell me what's, what's your background. Can you give us a little bit of your background and, and what it is that, that, that you do and, and yeah. some of the things, some of the projects that you're working on. Yeah, for sure. So um, for the last 10 years, I've been going back into the prison system and developing curriculum and content for departments of corrections and bureaus of prisons and jails to allow them an understanding on how to rehabilitate people and reenter them back into society. Across so, the country, right? Yeah, across the country. Yeah. And so where that purpose kind of came from is from my own incarceration um, from January of 2012 until, um, let's see, April of 2013. So I spent 15 months inside first time, last time, never should have, never should have been there. Kind of a wacky long story. Um, Did everything the right way, you know, as you say in life served the church and went on a mission, got married in the temple, did all that fun stuff. And, and, you know, I was a, a fund manager, which was my dream job. And, uh, right out of the, right out of the mission, if you will, you know, went to work and had a $10 million fund that I was managing, um, 2003, four, five, six, seven. And due to a registration failure in the state of Arizona, they charged me with what they call unregistered securities transactions. Um, and wow. simply, simply put, we didn't pay the state of Arizona, their tax money. Um, you know, this was the time of the, the very, very, very beginnings of the great recession that we now know it as. And so, you know, the Allen Stanford's and the Bernie Madoff's and everybody else was just a terrible human. If you were a money manager yeah. and, um, 
So uh, my my charge stemmed from a, a $3 million um, raise that we did in the state of Arizona. It was from quarter three of 2006 to quarter two of 2007. It was only open about six and a half months. And the, the fund was open, the fund was closed, the fund returned their dollars. And uh, the state of Arizona fought me for six and a half years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy. And yeah. so- So one guy uh, against the state's never good. It's never a positive thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so I, uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. I thought it was just really like a big misunderstanding. And, um, and, and it, it, it wasn't a big misunderstanding. It was calculated and it was cold and, and all those fun things. So I fought that, you know, for six and a half years and you get to the point where you're just numb you know, my wife and I, on, on one hand, you know, I sat down with the federal government at Applebee's and had the FBI and the SEC pour through my documentation and give me a clean bill of health and thought that, that I could kind of breathe a sigh of relief after that took place. And the state of Arizona came after me even harder when the federal government let me, you know, walk, so to speak. Got a letter um, from the FBI, a gentleman out of Salt Lake's regional office named Jason Lane. And wrote a letter on my behalf and said, you know, at the age of 25, managing $10.5 million, not to see a, a nickel misappropriated, you know, yeah. should be a, a good thing. And uh, state of Arizona dug in even further. And so, you know, there came a point where just exhausted, you know, uh, when the feds opened my books and put it out there publicly, every investor who had money called me and said, hey, can you can you take my money and give me 16%? and and so on one hand you know life is still going on and work is still happening and you know we're still going to church and still trying to you know deal with family and here i am in in the public limelight all of a sudden and on the other hand you're just exhausted you're you're tired of all of it mentally physically emotionally financially spiritually you know none of it really makes sense and so we put it before the judge and the judge his exact words court record, court document, minute entry. He said that he was going to make an example out of me. Um, and wow. so he, he put me in two years in the Department of Corrections and the state of Arizona has a kind of a, a, a good time law, 80%. And then I had some good time from that. So I ended up doing 15 total months. Um, and so, you know, there's a that Malcolm Gladwell book that talks about 10,000 hours you know, so I use that, I use that in my moniker as well. You know, I spent my 10,000 hours inside understanding what my purpose was and understanding what my identity and my life 2.0. So I took that 10,000 hours. And while I was inside, once I finally got to a yard, a yard that um, allowed me to go out every single day, if, if the general public knew that most inmates leave the prison yard on a daily basis for work um, in the community. There, there would just be blood in the streets. Um, most people think that you lock up inmates, you throw away the key and then you let them out in X amount of days. Right. Yeah. But every day we left the yard on this particular yard and they do whatever I was on a, I was in a prison today where they have 800 that leave the yard every day in the community. And so what was therapeutic for me and was literally a, a gift from God at that point was there was an opening at the community college that had a, a grant program with the yard that I was on, the prison that I was at. 
And so I was able to go out and work for the Small Business Development Center as a tutor. And so I had, a, a by the time I got to that yard, I had about a year left. And so I spent that time in the service of other people. And these inmates, you know, these friends of mine now, they had business questions, they had financial questions. Uh, I usually told most of them that they were entrepreneurs just in the wrong industry. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, we would go through the metrics and the, and the ideas behind some of the ideas they had. You know, how do I open up a business legally? Where do I register it? You know, and these guys, they, they didn't understand what the secretary of state was. And, and, and so it was just, it was really therapeutic for me. It was cathartic every day. I get to spend eight hours Monday through Friday talking with four or five different prison yards that came to this, you know, college, community college and, uh, and, and teach them. And so one of the things that I learned, you know, a decade ago was that most of the incarcerated problems were miscategorized and, you know, for example, you have a gentleman who would, would, would be in prison for car theft. And Johnny was not a car enthusiast. He, he wasn't going to Barrett Jackson. He wasn't putting his cars up for sale. Johnny was a drug addict who stole a car to sell some parts or some wheels to get drugs. Right. right. And so that root cause was, was rarely diagnosed and rarely spoken to. And when you started to really just boil it down to the simple stuff, like, you know, gospel basics, you know, pray and read, most things came back to money. Mm. And when I started unpacking what money was to me, based on my background prior to prison, I realized that none of these guys had an understanding. And so when I would say, all right, all right, Tyler, let's talk about FICO. Most people would think that I was talking about like a gang mem- member friend of mine. Right. Fight club. Here we go. Let's go. Right. You know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. I know FICO. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know him. He's kind of a bear sometimes. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> he's unpredictable. Goes up right. and down. He's got these trade lines. I don't know. <laughs> and so I thought, man, so my wife would come down and every Saturday and every Sunday and visit me while I was inside. And and I just would just pour over these documents. I would just write and write and write every day. And I'm like, I can fix this problem. I can fix this money problem. This is, this is not a money problem. This is an education problem. This is a curriculum problem. This is a root cause problem. And nobody's looking at it, talking about it, understanding it, right? Johnny's, Johnny's now has DMV fines for methamphetamines. Yeah. And, and so I developed a very, very, very rudimentary you know, financial literacy course. And when I was released, I took that course back and I gave it away, gave it to the prison. And I just said, Hey, this is 300 pages of stuff that you guys have never thought about and aren't doing. And I'd like to give it to you for free. And it, it, it became wildfire and one prison to another prison, to another warden, to another deputy warden. It was unbelievable and overwhelming the response that I received from that financial literacy course. And so fast forward, I'm jumping over a lot, but fast forward a decade later, you know, Accomplished Ventures, my company is now the largest provider of prison content and curriculum in the United States. Wow. 
Yeah. That's crazy. Extending way beyond your initial financial literacy course, right? Correct. Way beyond. And so a lot of the courses today, you know, they encompass tangibles like uh, financial literacy, business 101, entrepreneurship, but also a lot of the intangibles around shame and guilt and trauma and self-confidence. And we we've taken those courses and now we have dozens of them and married some of the tangible skills and, and some of the intangibles that are ever so important. And, and in today's world, omnipresent. And so I'll give you an example, like the employment course that we have. <clears throat> the employment course, I was very proud of because I felt that it took somebody who had been incarcerated, which is hard for a lot of us to understand. Two years ago, the world was much different than it was right now uh, due to COVID. Right. And so the, the, the pace at which the world moves is so incredibly quick today. So if an individual has been incarcerated for five years or eight years or 10 years, they've actually never scrolled Facebook. They've never posted on Instagram. They don't even know what Indeed or Monster or Jobbing or LinkedIn are. And so you're really putting an individual at a disadvantage to let them back into the community and, and not understand technology. And so that that's the tangible portion of our employment course. Let me help you understand that Facebook Marketplace is the new 2022 yard sale. Let me help you understand that nobody walks into a place of employment any longer. They all do it online. And so you need to open up a Word document, right? And convert it to a PDF. That's a technological aspect. But what, what's even more important than that was a narrative that we would give them. And I, I, I always like to tell them, you know, you wrote this script. And so you hold the pen. And, and so the script goes very simply like this, Mike, my name is Travis and you're, you're a prospective employer. Okay. Mike, my name is Travis. And for the last 36 months, I've been incarcerated. And the reason that I applied to your job posting is because while incarcerated, I learned one, two, and three things about myself. And I feel that those directly bring value to your organization in A, B, and C ways. Now, I don't want to waste another 36 minutes of my life, let alone yours. So if we can't continue this conversation, I'll excuse myself. Hmm. And you stop talking. And 99.9999% of employers ask you for three friends. I love it, man. Yeah. This isn't taught in high school. It's not even taught in college. Right. Talk to somebody authentically and to say, I've looked at your job posting. I've understood who I am and how the two of those can bring value, the self-confidence, the self-worth. So the intangibles married with the life skills are really what we're known for. And I think had I not, let me rephrase that. I know had I not been incarcerated for those 15 months, I would have never understood the real empathy that's needed on the reentry journey. And so that to me is what sets us apart while we've been in this space for the last 10 years and and we've done well, I believe that we continue to lead because we understand what it actually feels like to walk in those shoes. Hmm. So as you, as you had time to spend in those shoes, did you ever, I think part of it and part of having empathy, at least Tyler and I, this has come up in other conversations that we've had where uh, almost by the grace of God, go I, right? Like, yeah, I'm a couple of circumstances away 
<laughs> and removed from these gentlemen, but I could have easily, if, yeah. if placed in similar situations or had similar limitations placed upon me, I could have found myself making the same decisions and been, and been exactly where they are. You're so, you're so right. You're so right. And it's so interesting that you say that. Um, I have a 12 week prison style shark tank course that walks, you know, it's an entrepreneur course where we have them develop a business. And then on week 12, I bring in community leaders and business leaders and we, and we shark tank, you know, kind of judge it, so to speak. That's rad. I love that, man. That's a great it's, thing. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. The energy in the room, we allow their, we don't, but department of corrections allows their visitors to come in. And, and so you see some of their family members and the looks on their faces of their loved ones to see them with some self-worth is, is next level. And to your point, I'll never forget. And so as I'm bringing in leaders, you know, and business guys and buddies of mine and people who I think just need a reality check. Um, I had a gentleman who I brought in he came over from Australia many years ago when you could do that. Yeah. And, uh, and he pulled me aside and he said, I will never, ever say again that my sons will never go to prison because to your point exactly is the wrong situation at the wrong time puts our lives in a totally different trajectory. And I have met those people on countless occasions. I can't even tell you now over the last decade, so many people who don't need the rehabilitation, but actually need more love and empathy. Yeah. There's about 20%. And these are round numbers. They're not statistical, but there's, there's, there's no MIT study on what I'm about to say, but there's about 20% of people that I believe deserve to be in prison. They're sick humans. They're weirdos. They're, they're out there and, and they shouldn't be in society. And then there's about 20% of people on the other side of that spectrum who are, are genuine victims of circumstance. Um, I know a gentleman who I, who I just last year became acquainted with was working doubles during COVID and uh, was doing over the road, crossed the, cross the divider, you know, and, and really injured some folks and got some vehicular manslaughter charges mm. for five years. That man does not need to sit in a cell. He knows he did something wrong. He wasn't intoxicated, wasn't inebriated, wasn't high. This was just a, a, a man that had not slept. And period. that's a lifelong sentence regardless, right? It is. It, yeah. it truly is. Yeah. Oh, I think of Jean Valjean stealing bread. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In Les Mis and just the, yeah. the circumstances. And, and we find ourselves doing, doing things that maybe we wouldn't do if we weren't in those yeah. circumstances. And, and yet the system is trying to get their pound of flesh, right? thousand percent. So I think those 20% of folks, they don't need rehabilitation. You don't need to know that you shouldn't have driven, driven, you know, tired. You don't need that stuff. What you need is a little bit of love and empathy. And, yeah. and so, you know, that's really been missed in the department of corrections and, and the bureaus of prisons for a very long time. And so, you know, our curriculum, as we put it in, it has to be taught by department of corrections team members. And so the magic that I see, I was in a prison today that has had our curriculum for about two years. And the lieutenant that's in charge of that yard, to see the change in his eyes today, to have him pitch me on my curriculum and have him tell me, 
these guys right here have the ability to leave this yard and go to another yard, but they don't want to leave for fear that they won't have these programs Hmm. because they have a community. They have this respect. They have this camaraderie. And so you just realize that, that that's so powerful that as much as I thought I was cool creating this curriculum, I never thought that like the ripples and the drops from heaven would occur to where the changes in the people who are administering the programs would start to see their inmates differently. Well, it's interesting that you say you hold the pen, right? Yeah. You know, that message that you would share with, 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 with folks that you're working with, because truly as a curriculum designer, you hold the pen, right? There's power in the development of curriculum for both the teacher and, and the, the, the inmate. Yeah, almost so bringing great. about change, planting seeds by providing the curriculum and maybe from within changing the system to develop that more empathy. And I'm having flashbacks, Tyler, to our conversation with Portia, because it was so interesting hanging out with Portia and she's talking about prison and she's talking about being free. Yes. Yeah, right. In prison. Right. Right. Or like I felt I had integrity yeah. in prison as she takes more inventory and makes some changes and things. And I'm hearing you have the same conversation about, you know, concepts of self-worth in a system that is designed probably to strip people of that. Completely designed that way. Built on shame, built on, you'll lose your identity, built on, you know, like that, that person is not here. We need to change that person. And it's just interesting to hear, you know, things like community camaraderie and Mm self-worth coming from, behind the behind the wall and i think i think people listening to this podcast are are are, look from where i sit it's like my my view or my perception of what prison is right doesn't include this sort of curriculum and these kind of programs right so i'm curious travis like what is what has the reception been as you've rolled out new programs is that embraced is that do you see the implementation going like you want it to go? Or has it been a struggle to get that where you want it to be? Golly, it's, um, I feel like it gets easier the more, um, the more I'm able to prove efficacy of my programs, the easier it becomes. And is, even though that's like kind of like a, uh, like a duh thing to say, um, prison is a system that is incredibly antiquated. And, yeah, you're battling a, a pretty, you yeah. know, archaic, uh, you know, system that, that very archaic. No, and 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 to Mike's point, it, it and it very really big, humongous, yeah. humongous. Yeah, think of it like this. Think of it like this. If 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 eight out of ten airplanes fell out of the sky tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, you wouldn't have an airline industry. Crazy. And eight out of 10 inmates in the United States of America go back. They recidivate within the eight first out of 10, eight out of 10, Great. eight out of 10. And the thing is, Mike, every year they get more money. You imagine eight out of 10 airplanes, a Delta airline, they fall out of the sky tomorrow. And next year their sales increase. Right. Yeah. There's no I mean, way. That's the thing. It's a machine. And I feel like, you know, the machine is built to to profit on this idea that, yeah. that people are, are reentering, right, going back. Yeah. And yet you've got this program that says, hey, let's give the tools 
that allows them to uh to to find success and not find themselves back here so i'm it, it seems like this you've got two polar opposite views that are kind of looking at each other and and i'm i'm curious that how the leadership from the top looks at those programs and says hey what you know are we committed to providing the resources to allow people to find success um i will tell you that most leadership at the top the very top yeah. you know the governor's offices the deputy directors, the directors of the department, you know, the very, very top, the people mm-hmm. that are appointed. Um, those are the people that are easiest to, to get a, a meeting with at this point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and, and because they will look at the data, we had a program that was ran eight years ago at this point, And the program that was ran gave um, accomplished a hundred inmates and, and, and ran this against uh, the state of California, hundred inmates. And at the end of the three years, their data, not mine, their data sets, their analytics, you know, their people, not mine. At the end of those three years, you know, they had 82 people that had gone back out of their 100 and we had nine. Hmm. And, you know, it was, it was, it was just when, when that data was prepared to them and given to them, it was almost mind blowing. Like they thought, and I'll tell you what's interesting from that conversation, I was in a room with a lot of, a lot of folks <laughs> and um, the gentleman in charge, he said, you know, you're 1% of 1%. And I said, isn't that interesting that you say that to me because you're in charge of making 1% like me. <laughs> right. Yet, you yeah. know, I'm the exception. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, it's just bad. It, you would never get a pilot on a plane who said, I mean, guys, most likely we're dying. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's I wild. Mean, I'm excited. If you're excited, let's do this. We yeah, got, let's give it a shot. See what happens. 60 minutes to Vegas. Like if <laughs> we'll probably be dead in nine minutes, but crazy. Shall crazy. we, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing is there's no, to Mike's point earlier, there's no metrics for less. There's no incentive for less. There's no incentive to win because if they all go back, they were supposed to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah no it kind of gets into conversations. It kind of gets into conversations that I've had in educational settings, right? Where we talk about achievement gaps and things and, mm. and the system is designed to get exactly what it's getting. You know, one thing that you said earlier, Mike, about freedom, I, I will tell you, I, I have more friends incarcerated more acquaintances incarcerated that have a more purposeful and fulfilling life than so many people that I meet out here. And I will tell you, everyone says, why is that the reason it's, it's, it's one word and it's identity. When you are staring at nothing and you have nothing and you have to this point found yourself to become nothing, you have a beautiful opportunity to hold that pen and recreate what it looks like. And so you can start to draw a line in the sand and say, these are the things that I am not going to negotiate any longer. These are the things that I will not settle for any longer. And when you start to carve that space into your heart and into your mind and into the world, life becomes free. 
And all too often, I have so many friends that are running around with white picket fences and six-figure salaries who do three laps around the office before they go inside because they don't want to be there, who find excuses to continue to work late because they don't want to deal with their children, who find reasons to lie to their wives because they're not having proper intimacy and sex in the bedroom. These people are not free. These people are going through the motions of life. They don't know who they are. They don't understand their identity. I'm curious, Travis, a, a couple of things. One, I can't believe the federal government took you to Applebee's. Like, really? That's like, that's where they're at. You know what I mean? That's crazy. But, but two, what a stipend, huh? Like, I know, guys, exactly. Jeez, those guys burning through it, man. So All we got left is Applebee's, guys. Let's uh, let's do this. <laughs> Times are tough right now. <laughs> but I, I'm curious, in, in ten, 10 years ago, when you're preparing to leave the the, the, the system, was was your mind going this way like i'm leaving the the career i had behind and i want to move in this direction i mean what what was that shift for you where you said you know this is where i want to spend my energy i mean i love that you developed this program handed it over to the 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 prison say hey use this but when does that become this is my passion this is a, a purpose of mine and i don't i'm going to give up this thing that i spent a a good chunk of my life becoming an expert in. When does that happen? When's that moment? Um, when I got home, you know, my, I, I, I am and was incredibly fortunate. My, my wife was there through the entire process. Um, and getting to spend that time with her every week I would, while incarcerated every week, I would literally manifest exactly what's happening right now. Every single week I would whiteboard this and I would tell her, I'm going to be on stages around the world. I'm going to have our kids in the front row. I'm going to change lives based on my adversity. And I knew. That's so Joseph. <laughs> That's so Old Testament. It Joseph, is, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's so a slave. It doesn't matter. He's running things. Put him in prison. It doesn't matter. He's running things. I love that. It is so true. And, and to take it full circle with, with exactly what you spoke about, Mike, is so I, I now teach gospel doctrine and um, I, I taught on this subject three weeks ago now. I'm preparing for Easter next week as we speak. And so a couple of things that I like to pull out of this, the Joseph story specifically, and as it relates to us in our life. So often we ask the why me's and I did it. I would drive around the city after I was indicted. I would drive around the city in tears in my convertible Jaguar, you know, with my first world problems crying about, you know, why me, why me? We're not supposed to do that, but we do that. We're humans. Um, We've done everything right. And what's interesting is that with Joseph, the, the, the two words that always pull out for me are when he says, but God, Mm -hmm. that to me is after 20 years of misery and pain and heartache and trauma, you had thought that this was going to be my demise. You had thought that this was going to be the reason that I went down, but fortunately, but God knew that there was a better path and and a better way for me. And so instead of asking why me, 
I think we should be asking, where are we supposed to be that God needs us to be? And that's a hard perspective to change when you're in a six by nine concrete cell. That's an uncomfortable conversation to have with yourself. But if we're really being frank, there's a point when you can look back in your life and you can say, this is where I took a left turn. This is exactly when my life went on a good or a bad trajectory. And so Joseph, I always refer to those. He says it twice in that chapter, but God, and those have always stuck with me. And so when, when I got out, and, and this is this is totally the, the gospel according to Travis. It's not going to be anything nuts or anything, but it's <laughs> it's not fully fleshed out. But I have this thought. So Jesus is resurrected and you know goes to Mary, as we know, and he says, you know, why are you crying? And has a has a conversation and a dialogue with her and and then goes to his apostles, right? But he's resurrected as we know it, as much as we've ever seen or heard of a resurrected being up until this point. I don't, my cousins haven't been resurrected. I don't know if your sisters or brothers have, but mine haven't. And so I have nothing to compare it to other than we believe, based on scriptural reference, that not a hair of our head is going to be lost. That we're supposed to come back perfect in resurrection. No infirmities, no sicknesses, no illness. But Christ came back with his nail prints. And when he got together with the apostles and Thomas, you know, was there, he wasn't there, but then he came and Thomas said, the only way that I'm going to believe is the nail prints. And so I believe that Christ chose to keep those nail prints so that he could find his tribe. I believe that the, the individual that we're trying to strive to be like led with his scars opened his hands with his imperfections. And I think that as we become Christ-like, we are supposed to do that same thing. We are not supposed to show up to church for two hours in our greatest suits and ties and pretend we've never had dishes in the sink. But instead, we're supposed to have authentic conversations about some of our past missteps and what we've learned and about some of our baggage and some of our pain so that we can be a balm or a salve to someone else's pain or trauma. And if we lead with that, if we begin with that empathy, I believe we come a little bit more Christ-like. I love that. I, I love that idea. I love the, the thought that the, the things that we've gone through don't have to define us, but they all those also don't have to be swept under a rug or, or deleted from from our memories, right? They're there to help propel us forward. And quite frankly, I love the idea of, of being able to bring that conversation to someone else and let someone else see that, you know, Mike and I have this conversation all the time. Sometimes church feels like a red carpet affair, right? We show up and people are dressed their best and you walk in and, hey, look at me, we're looking great. But I think if we can sit down and say, this is where I've been and this is where I'm heading because of where I've been, yeah. You know, people can get on with that, right? I, I, love, I, I love that. I'm actually thinking of, uh, here's, the, here's the other thing. I don't want to geek out about Joseph, but I, I feel like I'm hanging out with like a modern day Joseph. I, th- I just think keeping the faith. Yeah. When Joseph had every reason to not, no one knows who he is. No one knows where he is, Right. He, he's trying to keep the law of chastity with Potiphar's wife. What does that do for him? 
lands him in prison, right? right? He could say, God, where are you? I'm out. I've been doing the right thing and and nothing works out. I'm done. And he doesn't, right? And he holds that, but God faith. And I think that Elder Christofferson, and I think it was Elder Christofferson in conference talks about this transactional, like it's not, we do these things so that he blesses us. We do these things because that's the law, right? We made covenants to do those things and come hell, high water, right? If, if, if we're thrown in the pit, we're thrown in the pit, but we have that identity as children of God, as covenant children of God to, to stand, stand in our place, right? To hold on our way. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking you were probably put in those positions where, man, covenants in prison, that's a challenge. Super challenge. Right? Especially yeah. as you're looking around, it's like, why am I here? I'm here on a technicality. There was no malicious intent. The state of Arizona had an ax to grind, and they're holding me up as a poster boy or whatever. Right? All of those things could run through your mind, and the natural yes. man is to be like, you know what? God has forgotten you. Go ahead and forget him. You're a thousand percent right. And all those thoughts do go through your head. And I, I think that's where, you know, for me, I, I, I knew then and I knew I, I, I can tell everybody now that your adversity is and will be your greatest asset. That's the story of Joseph. That's the story that I learned about myself. And, and it's been so magical over these last 10 years, having come out and 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 now it's a lot easier. You know, you can Google me. I've been in Forbes magazine and the Wall Street Journal's written me up and all this other cool stuff, you know, quote unquote. But what is so amazing to me is that people will come into our home, my wife and I, and sit down with me. And we always we always get the same comments like, wow, it's just really comfortable here. It's just really comfortable. And for the last 10 years, that comfortability in our home has been because we know, we believe eight out of 10 people that are going to walk through that door are going through something. Yeah. Probably higher than that, right? Probably higher. Yeah. Travis, I'm, I'm curious at, at what point I love this idea that, you know, you, you look back and say, Hey, this, this adversity is now my biggest asset. At what point does that become a reality for you, right? When we're in the middle of the of the craziness, it's hard to 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 settle down in the middle of a storm and go, you know what? This is going to be good for me moving forward, right? <laughs> so, at what point do you say, shoot, you know what? This is something that that's going to propel me where I where I want to be. Not necessarily, uh, you know, economically or anything else, but as a person. At what point do you does that realization become clear for you? Hmm. Yeah, as as the roof is missing from your home, you're like, this tornado will be a good yes, thing. Yes, this will be a good thing. <laughs> I needed a new roof. Fine. So, right. Everything will be fine. I'll get another golden doodle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> as it just... <laughs> totally fine. Everything's fine. Everybody act fine. <laughs> Let me tell you about driving an airplane, right? <laughs> <laughs> It needs thrust and it needs wind and there's a, never mind. Okay. Um, I digress, but literally that guy's always tan. Can we just be honest? <laughs> that guy is not an airplane ever. He's no, tan. never, man. Never. I mean, come on. Like, the guy is, 
anyhow, he's like, hey, I digress. Um, so I had a couple experiences and, and if I can look back, there's, there's two, there's one that was in prison and then there was one that it was with a missionary. And the first one that was in prison, um, first one that was in prison, I was going through a, a shark tank prison course. And at the, at the end of it, this gentleman had got to the end and his idea was awesome. I thought, man, this is, this could be really, really life-changing. And so I said, Hey, you know, you know, you know pull you to the side. I don't, I don't want to know everybody's story. I don't care why you're here, but you know, like what happened, you know, like there's something different about you. And he said, 38 years ago, uh, my uncle picked me up from school and I was in the 10th grade and my uncle was on, on the way home and he had some guns and some drugs in his car and got into a shootout and ended up killing three people. Oh, man. And he said, uh, one of those three people ended up, you know, like kind of surviving. And so he put that person in the car and took that person to his side of town so that his people could take care of him. And, you know, by the time we got to that side of town, you know, police were everywhere and looking for us. And, and he ended up dying, you know, in the front yard, this man. So he and my uncle ended up, you know, killing these three people. And I was 17 years old at the time. And he said, the judge told me that I should have known CPR. I should have known better. And he said, and so for that reason, that's why I created this mobile CPR training business. You should have known CPR. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. And I just thought, I mean, I, I, I fight back tears just retelling the story from a decade ago, but the self-awareness that that man had to have to take his lumps and then to perhaps even agree a little bit to create a business almost 40 years later from the pain that was crafted from something that he didn't do was pretty amazing to me. And I knew I wanted to be around those people. I knew I wanted to find those needles in the proverbial haystack to really change their life. And so I knew I needed to be there. I knew I needed to be inside prison. And so the, 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 second, the second thing that I knew, the second in the beginning, um, my wife and I have always been really close to the missionaries in our ward and always kind of been an open door and, you know, whatever you need type of a type of a household. And, well, late one night, I received a text message from the elders. We were pretty close to them. And um, it was late, though. And I, I had nothing to do with the, the ward mission. And so he said, you know, can, can we come over? I said, yeah, of course. You know, it's like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And so I met him downstairs on the couch. And, and he said, I, I've been struggling for the last month, you know, that I need to go home, that I need to leave my mission. And, 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 uh, he said, my mom has just gone to prison. And every time I pray, I, I, I get your name. And it was just, it was just that one more moment that I knew that heavenly father had put me in the right place at the right time, that I was able to have that empathy for that young man on a mission 
and was able to walk him through, was able to help him understand what his mom was going to see and hear and feel, what his dad was going to go through. And I've had a decade worth of those magical experiences in my home, with my wife, with my family now. I now have four children uh, with my wife. And today, you know, when I go to the prison, my six-year-old daughter comes back and she wants to know whose, whose life we changed. She wants to pray for these people. And the stories that I get to my children to help them understand that we have no problems. Life is amazing. That perspective that I get to give my children every week because I go back into prison, that's the reason I keep going. I feel that in today's world, the conversations are not taking place around the dinner tables of America. The idea about fatherhood and masculinity and being an alpha male and being a provider has slowly but surely been eroded in most communities faith-based or not. And so most fathers are uncomfortable having dialogue about subjects that they don't feel they're the experts in. And because of that, we have a generation that prefers screens in their faces and prefers excuses and participation trophies instead of perspiration trophies. And I want to be that individual that can stand up at the pulpit, that can go in front of a group of 300 youth and tell them, you might see my photo on the internet with my beautiful wife, my beautiful children. You may have been to my beautiful home. But what you haven't seen is this 17,520 hours of darkness, of pain that you will never understand because I spent it in a six by nine cell. So now let's talk about your problems. <laughs> it's almost, it's, it. It, you are as as i as i get a little glimpse into your life right it's just the scripture that keeps coming back to my mind is just that thought of all things working together for good you know like god can take 17,525 hours spent in a six by nine cell and and do something amazing so 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 good i yeah. i can't even tell you i get to i get to sprinkle the gospel on a nightly basis or a daily basis, depending on when they, they watch. Uh, I'm on half a million prison tablets across the country on a daily basis. And I get to sprinkle gospel concepts across the country because people, as we know from, you know, I, here's one that's fun. Here's my, here's my latest one. You'll enjoy this one. I got to pull it up to show you on the screen. So, you know, I'm not BSing. <laughs> so you see it. Uh, yeah. Oh man, Paul, I love that. That is so awesome. Hold on, hold on. Let's let's read that for, for folks. Yeah, all my role models went to prison. Jesus, Paul, Joseph, Daniel, Peter, John, Travis. I love that, I love that man. But it does it does kind of give me that, Mike. It kind of gives me that that ether, you know, what is it? five you know the 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 winds and the storms drove us to the, the, the drive right no. to the promised land i mean it's sort and of deep driving deep right right sometimes we, submerged in the deep and we're buried we pop up. absolutely but but there's at a the wind. end of it 
it pushed us towards the promised land. And I think that perspective is so powerful, right? When we can say, and, and it's tough, like you said, you know, the golden doodle's gone. It's hard to be grateful for the, for that moment. But, right. But I think that, man, what a powerful thing to be able to, to, to find that moment where we can sit and go, this is, you know, we had a guest on uh, several months back and he said, this setback is my comeback. Mm. Right. And I, I love that idea that we can, that there is moments where we can stand up in the middle of it and yeah. say, here we go. Let's, let's dust it off and move forward. Well, and, and if I can just, if I can just put a highlight on what Travis was saying about conversations not happening around the table and, you know, we're, we're, we're addicted to screens and dads feel inadequate. Like who cares of whether we're inadequate, right? We got to step into those spaces because those are our spaces. And, you know, and I, and I think we're, we are suffering from shallowism. Mm. We're not getting deep with our friends. We're not getting deep with our, with our spouse. We're not, we're not having conversations with, with our, our children, right? Yes. With our children. Yeah. Right. It's like, we're talking about the weather and we're talking about the game on TV. You know, we're yeah. not getting into things of our soul. Like these are the burdens I'm carrying. You know? and, I, and, and, and I like the, I like the, Hey, tell me about your problems. Right. Because we do have first world problems, but we do have spiritual problems that, man, if we can, it, they're like wounds. If we can let them breathe, they heal. But if we're just festering and hiding and covering and we're like, nope, everything's cool. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then it's like, oh, they got a divorce. Like, well, yeah, because things weren't fine and they weren't doing the work. Not, go ahead, Travis. Go ahead. I, I'm so glad you brought up my favorite F word. My, ch my children are not allowed to use that F word. I, 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 I joke about this. When, when we understand what we're made of and who we're supposed to become, like our real identity. Yeah. You don't walk around using the word fine any longer. Right. Okay. So not fine. So yeah. eventually, eventually we got to dig deep here, Travis. Eventually we got to get into where do you learn that? Like, okay, let's, let's get into growing up, right? Yes. Growing up in the church. Me personally. Yeah. Terrible, terrible upbringing. Um, I, I lived on, I had one foot in and one foot out. Um, my, my childhood was tumultuous. My father is a notorious organized crime figure. Um, and my mother is a convert to the church. Wow. And yeah. And so um, on That's certain days, yeah. was that? I said, boy, two sides of the coin, right? I mean, here yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah. On, on certain days, depending on, you know, my father was, an, was a very successful organized crime individual and um, you know, at 16 years old, I would, uh, you know, have him in the, in the passenger seat of his expensive sports car with, uh, money and weapons and drugs in the trunk. And I would drop him off and, uh, there would be a list of things for me to do if he never returned. And, you know, that was, that was sort of my upbringing. My father was in, my father was out. My father was very wild, very addicted to drugs, uh, heroin. And, you know, our father-son conversations um, were full of one-liners that I now joke about because I can talk about them out loud. He passed away last year. 
Um, but he would tell me, he'd say, all right, Tyler. So keep this in mind. Um, I know you like, uh, Cheryl, but just so you know, if she had a different face and a different body, she would be more attractive. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> and so you start to process that at nine yeah. years old yeah. and you're like, wait a minute, are you calling her ugly? You are. She, okay. That's how you're uh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah. So she needs wow. a good, okay. Got it. So my father would have these constant one-liners and, and it was like his only way of, of parenting, so to speak, but you can't get a live branch from a dead tree. And my father's father um, committed suicide when I was, you know, nine years old, 10 years old. And my dad was raised in a military household, basically turned over as a ward of the state and grew up in a fake it till you make it type environment and became incredibly violent and incredibly volatile and then you know addicted to drugs and then as the money gets bigger and the drugs get bigger and the fame gets bigger then you know so do the prison sentences and um and so that was one side of the coin you know my my dad's you know kind of proudest moments you know were with him and I in the boxing ring and 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 then him asking me to show my skills you know, as I'd like beat up some neighborhood bully back in Boston. And that was his only way of, of really getting a one-on-one. And so when my mom had finally committed to leaving my father after many years of marriage, you know, we, we suffered and struggled incredibly, you know, we were homeless and lived in our vehicle and lived in the homes of other church members while, while my mom got her footing and went to school, put herself through school to become a a school teacher, um, got her, her degrees, you know, and then finally she, by literally the grace of God and her own blood, sweat and tears and bootstraps pulled us all out of that situation and, and got us a fantastic normal life. And so, uh, so brothers, sisters, three sisters, me and okay. myself and three sisters, no brothers. And, uh, you know, so for me, it was always a situation where I knew what not to do. I had a fantastic role model of what not to become. And it was never a word of wisdom thing for me. It was never a spiritual, I don't want to say never, but that wasn't my guiding light of why I didn't do drugs or smoke or drink, you know, any of that stuff. It was because I saw the demise of my own father. I didn't need any more physical proof that this was a horrible idea you know, than my own broken family. So I knew I had to stay as far away from that as possible. And so that was really what his poor choices guided me to make good choices. Hmm. How do you find yourself, Travis, at the age of 19, I'm assuming, getting ready to go on a mission? I mean, how do you find yourself in that position and making that that commitment? I had some, some great um, leaders some great leaders in the church, um, you know, went through the whole, if you can even imagine this while all of that's transpiring, um, you know, all the crazy illicit stuff with my dad. Um, I was in the boy Scouts, got my Eagle Scout, went to the order of the arrow, got my arrow of light, you know, like literally it was just two sides, you know, two stories, two lives. It was so wild to me, you know, and, and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's the way I grew up. And, and so, 
it wasn't like I was, you know, crying myself to sleep, you know, on Jerry Springer, right. You know, even though I should be on Jerry Springer tomorrow, <laughs> by the way, I'd, I'd watch man. For I sure. mean, it would be, <laughs> right. yeah, right, I'll right. bring a golden doodle, <laughs> make that thing disappear. <laughs> you know, and so for me, I was like, man, this is, there's so much proof here. And, 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 and so what's wild while all that's going on, I'm still in the church. I'm still going to mutual. I've got great, you know, I've got leaders that would take me on fathers and sons campouts. And then, you know, there was this, this, this individual, his name's Quade Nelson, not was, is he's still alive and, and still kicking. He's fantastic. And he's going to listen to this shout out Quade. What's up, my brother. Um, <laughs> um, you know, Quade, Quade took him to the temple to go on my mission and his wife, Denise, you know, they, they're, my, my biggest supporters to date. Um, and so I had some guiding lights along the way, you know, where I needed them. And, you know, when I married my wife, um, her father is an incredible dad and an incredible husband. And, you know, that gave me some hope and some optimism that people can be married for, for many, many years and you can be a good person. And, you know, her grandfather lives a life that I want to live, you know, is, has done very well financially and, and is able to travel the country and see his grandchildren, his great grandchildren as they, uh, you know, have these milestones in their life. And so that's been a guiding light for me. And so I've had these pieces along the way. And I can look back and, and, and I think that Heavenly Father put those pieces right in line, right when I needed them. And I, I'm not the type of person, and I never have been, that I didn't need a coddling. I didn't need somebody to be with me. You know, even when I, when I wasn't married, I'm very good on my own. I'm you know, growing up the way that we did. I could do my own clothes and wash and cook and clean. It didn't bother me. And, and so I, I'm good on my own. And so I, Heavenly Father didn't give me somebody to kind of like pat my butt and get me out of bed. The Heavenly Father gave me some people that I could point to in some areas that I didn't have any visibility because I didn't have a role model, don't have a role model. Yeah. And he filled those voids for me. And that's where my fire in my belly with talking to the youth of the church comes from. I sit down with kids. I sat down with this kid in a, in a city, I'm not going to say, because um, he'll know and his dad will know and it'll be a whole thing. And then it's a church fight. And it's basketball. Anyhow, so... Um, if you're LDS, you've ever had a church basketball <laughs> fight, listening to this, you've had a fight in the cultural hall, people. Um, <laughs> anyhow, but he came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, my parents are, are married happily and my dad doesn't have a relationship with me. And that to me is as worse. It, it, it is as bad, if not worse than my situation. I at least knew what I was getting out of my father. I couldn't imagine waking up every day with a dad next to me who feigned love for my mom and myself who never wanted anything to do with that would be heartbreak hotel for me. Mm. And so I see this happening over and over and over. And so my plea, my, my, my prayer, if you will, is that my story to be shared on a global perspective with youth of the church, to let them understand that adversity will be your greatest asset, but most importantly, that biography is not your destiny. And if you have a dad or a mom or, or a guardian that's taking care of you right now, or that isn't taking care of you right now, that neither one of those things 
have any factor in how far you're going to go in life. But you yourself control that. You have the opportunity to become great or you have the opportunity to bury your head in the sand. Life is going to be difficult one way or the other, but every time that you choose greatness, Heavenly Father is going to be there with the right people at the right time when you look back. And that's the conversation that we need to have with the youth of America. I love that. Choose greatness, man. That yeah. is great. Notice it's not it, notice it's not choose fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm fired up, Travis. Let's go. Let's do this, right? This is <laughs> so, walls. <laughs> so, uh, talk to me about how you meet your wife. Uh, at the singles ward, if you can even imagine my first so, time and my last time. So what's her name? <laughs> her name's Melissa. Okay. Melissa. Yeah. So you, you you meet at a singles ward? Yeah. So my sister, my sister, just younger than I, um, was going on a mission uh, to New York, New York South, Spanish speaking. And uh, so she had moved back home with my mom in Arizona. And Melissa had come down to visit her sisters from Arizona. And they just happened to all kind of be converging, you know, at the same. I'm sure that was like a spring break. You know, every Mormon leaves Provo to anyhow. (laughs) <laughs> and so, you know, there I was somewhere there, you there go. I found myself at said watering hole. No, <laughs> uh, no, I usually tell people that we met on Tinder and I accidentally swiped right. And she hates that. So <laughs> I won't say that. It's not true, babe. It's romantic. Come on. Let's it's, super, I mean, it's 2022. Uh, but yeah, so we, we met that we met and, and I was, you know, I had a, at this point had a whole life, you know, outside of, of there in the state. And, and she used to, she had a, a scholarship at BYU um, for accounting. People think I'm the smart one in the family. I can't hold a candle to her. And, uh, and so we met literally like at a, like the, the mixer, the mix and mingle afterwards, you know, and that was all it took for me. I'm like, this, this chick is just the absolute one. Done. And, done done that was it and so we spent that whole week that i was in town we spent that whole week together and 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 went on a date and spent the whole next week together and you know six months later we were engaged and married and everything kind of moved quickly and soon to be 15 years later oh wow congrats man 15 years and four little babies one boy and three girls which is the exact same as my yeah which is ironic. I think uh, God's trying to tell me something. And uh, so my, you know, my superpower at this point is time. I, um, you know, on a daily basis, I'm an investor and, you know, that's been my background. Money and numbers is is where I came from. And and so I do that to this day. And I tell people that God watches over my investments so I can go back to prison. Man, I I love that. How, How, what are the ages of your kids? 10. Brock is 10. Kennedy is six. Addison is three and Paisley is one. Man, that, that, that's some fun ages right there, man. Oh, dude. It's, I, uh, I, it's can just we just talk it. really quick? I, I love the practical language and manifestation of faith with what you just said about investments. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I kind of dig that idea of like, look, he knows the desires of my heart. He knows this. this is where my people are. This is the ministry. This is the work. This is what I've been called to do. This is my purpose. Yeah. So you know what? He's going to take care of those things. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. No. You know, what's crazy, Mike, is 
The first time I was written up in a financial article was by Yahoo Finance after I came out of prison. Not before. Not before. You know, yeah. you think you're some 25-year-old child prodigy with $10 million under management. You're nobody. Yeah. And 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 so it it it's so rad to me. When I got that, I Yahoo reached out to me and said they want to do an article on me. I sent them the photo of my family. And I said, if you're going to do an article, this is what this is how it's going to be. This is yeah. how it's going to be put out there. And that has been my focal point. And, and what's so crazy, Mike, is now, I guess it shouldn't be crazy, but I get dozens of calls a week now from people who are like, hey, man, can you just look at this deal? Hey, can you look at this? Because they know my background and they're like, oh, there's no way in hell this guy's going to like, he's going to smell all of it. He's going to see all the bad stuff. He's not going to let me do anything shady. And it's been so freeing for me to bring value to all these people's lives based on quite literally the hell that I experienced. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but you shouldn't do this. If you want like a crash course in like economics, securities, law, um, federal regulate, you can sit down with the federal government for about six years. At Applebee's as well. At Applebee's. Right? Start, right? And yeah. the good news is you get a bill at the end of it for like, you know, 300 grand. Oh, and you know, like 15 months of your time, not a big deal, but oh, super cool crash course. Um, so there's master class and all that fun stuff, community college. But if you're really dedicated, you can just mm, fast that's track. Next, that's next level, man. That's okay, next can level. I, yeah. Can I poke, can I poke at this one a little bit? Um, it's cool that people are calling you. I'm just wondering if there isn't that that other side of coming out where people judge, people talk, <laughs> labels stick, <laughs> right? People trying to remind you of who you've were, where you've been instead of who you are and where you're going. And Mike, can we, can we amplify that just with the, the culture of the church, right? Oh, come right. On, so, yeah. so you're walking, you're walking out of a, out of a, out of a prison into society, which has already got some some preconceived ideas of who you are and what you're about, and now you're walking into a church building, and I think that's got to be amplified. Woo, fellas! I mean, you'd rather have the porn addiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny, and I can make this joke, and you guys can cut it out later if you choose to. But recently, I got called to by church headquarters to do some videos, you know, for, for the church programs that they're doing in prison ministry and jokingly. And so I, I don't say this lightly, but hopefully everyone can take this lightheartedly when, when they said to me, Hey, we want you to be the prison guy. Like we want you to be the guy who can, you can talk about this articulately. You're able to add some empathy to people who are members that are going through it. But at the same time, the way that you speak about content and curriculum and and just the overall operations of prison, you could really give some insight to some of our church leaders on, on callings and decisions that they need to make. And I said, I'm just grateful that I'm not the porn guy. <laughs> and it was not received, <laughs> right? Basically like a fart in church, Tyler. Um, terrible, right? Yeah. Horribly placed. But I say that because to your point, 10 years ago, I, I, I wish I was, I had, there was so much, I will tell you this true story 
and it still annoys me and brings me heartache and makes me angry and it shouldn't do any of those things, but it does because I'm human with flesh and bones of weakness. Um, my bishop at the time that I was indicted talked so much trash about me, I couldn't even mm. see straight. And interestingly enough, fast forward, um, most of his children have left the church and one of them is incarcerated for life. Mm. Wow. And it's an interesting juxtaposition there, right? Yeah, like, yeah. wow, perhaps it wasn't me that needed to learn that lesson at that time. Perhaps it was the Lord getting you ready for something and you squandered an opportunity to be with me, to learn from me for, for many, many years. And so I go, I, I say all of that lightheartedly. I, I know there's plenty of people struggling with so many addictions and, and trust me, so much love and empathy for that. Um, we all have our battles, but walking back into church as a felon is, is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. And so one of the things that I had to come to grips with was the narrative. And I, I started to tell Melissa, my wife, I said, if this is going to come out, because what happens, what happens is people will come to our home and people will go, oh, my goodness, you guys are normal. You guys are fantastic humans. You know, you move into a new ward. My wife is way too pretty to be with me. And you know that she's too pretty to be with me because the cashier always puts the center divider between our groceries, like at the store. <laughs> And I'm like, no, no, we're together. This is uncalled for. Anyhow. So, so she's way too attractive for me, super smart. And, and so, you know, people go, oh, you know, I like this couple. Travis is kind of funny, sometimes dumb, but mostly funny. You know, she's, and, and so they want to hang out with you. And then all of a sudden, it's like this gorilla in the room right here that's like, um, a felon. Do I tell you now? <laughs> or do I tell you when we're friends? Or do I tell you over dinner? Is it just like, hey, Tyler, so you have any friends that have been to jail? Pass the salt. Yeah, I think it's over at it's <laughs> chips and salsa. That's where you do it, right? There, it's just man. an appetizer, right? <laughs> yeah, <Just> absolutely. Like, <laughs> you don't want to go super serious. I don't want your stomach to be upset. We'll go a little light. Um, don't get the Tex-Mex egg rolls. Let's do this the right way. Little dippy dippy salsa and we'll be dialed. <laughs> but yeah, it's it sucks. I'm not going to be mean, honest. It's cool it that we're laughing, but these this is this is painful. It's brutal. It was brutal. My, you know what the painful, you know what the pain was, was this. I never wanted to drag Melissa into the mud. Yeah. Yeah. And if people would came, you know, if people come at you, Mike, and they're like, oh, he's a four letter word and he's this. And you're like, whatever, I'm secure and I'm going to leave. But when people come after mama bear. Yeah. I go to prison for that. Yeah. Right. Don't disrespect my wife. She did nothing wrong. And, and, by all means, when I go to prison, don't stop calling her. Yeah. Don't stop reaching out to her. Don't stop doing the things that you all professed from the pulpit you were going to do. Please don't do that. Just don't do anything. Don't don't pretend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, that that's such an interesting thing and I and and the difficulties there are are astounding, you know, because I think that and again, Mike and I kind of beat on this maybe a little too much sometimes, but culturally we 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 can talk a, a good game, mm-hmm. but when it comes to deliver, it's pretty it it can be pretty tough. And and I it, going back to Mike's point earlier, I really I really love the idea of of in, that 
that empathetic mindset where we're all on the precipice of something that's either going to be good or, or could be bad. Right. You know, and, and we talked, we had a conversation a, a couple weeks back about, you know, running into a homeless guy and, and, and having a conversation. And, and as in that conversation, I remember thinking like, man, I'm like two steps away from being right where this guy's at, you know? And, and I think that, man, if we could get to the point where, where I, I go back to your screen on my greatest, what was the, what is it? The, all, all my heroes have been, all to my prison. heroes have been to prison. Golly. Honestly, though, if that was where, where our heads were, it would make, it would make reentry into the church that much easier. Uh-huh. Right. Because I think that the diff- it's difficult enough just walking in the doors of the building, but I think that the congregation as a whole needs to be educated as to uh, being being empathetic, but but being able to embrace and understand where people are coming from and help them get back where they need to be. Right? That's but what you know that's what? our jobs. You know what, Tyler? All of this, I think, all of this can be helped if we go to church and we interact with people to learn from other people. Mm. Like, like Travis, and you're saying that that bishop, man, that bishop, that bishop was running his mouth, you know, talking about me, and then he had some things, and maybe there were some lessons that I, I could have represented, and 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 my experience could have taught him. If we come to our interactions, like what can hanging out with this person teach me versus? How can I compare myself to them and knock them down so that I can be better? Like whatever. How, there's a million ways to sacrifice the culture of Christ that, yes. that, that the church is, is trying to establish. Right. And so I think it's about mindfulness. It's about being okay with being awkward, but being real. Right. Because so I think real. a lot of times they don't call your wife when you're in, in prison because it's awkward and they don't know what to say. So they're just not going to. And it's like, well, I think we got to get past that. Right. Yeah. We got to push past that awkward and do what Jesus Christ would have us do because last time I checked, we're trying to be disciples. Right. That's it. And we're trying to we're trying to find the guy who's got the scars to prove he had the experience to become better. Yeah. I, I'm curious, Travis. I, I what would you say to someone who is who finds themselves in a in a position where uh, I don't know if incarcerated, not necessarily being incarcerated, but just in, in the middle of, of the, of those difficult times, one, what would you say to them? And two, I'm curious about maintaining faith through trials. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm curious about that as well. I mean, we, we sort of live in this time where faith is, is abandoned pretty quickly at times. And we see people moving away from that. Um, and I'm curious what you would say to someone who finds themselves in the middle of something and how to maintain that faith in the middle of that. Golly, bro. And it, it's, it sounds so much easier. So when I was, when I was inside, I, I, I wrote down these five like little phrases and, and there I've, I've refined them over the years, but like, I go back to those, those like first five because they helped me get my mind right. And so I told myself programming equals beliefs. Beliefs equal attitudes. Attitudes equal feelings. Feelings equal actions. Actions equal results. And I would I, I wrote that down like literally on a yellow post-it. I stuck it to my, my my prison cork board. And I thought, okay, this is how the brain works. 
So if, if I want to manage myself in a better way, if I want to change my results, then I have to start with my programming. And, and so then I, I took it a little bit deeper. All right. So if in a world that's filled with, you know, what we now call instant gratification or two thumb gratification, mm-hmm. we need to fall in love with the process. So many of us are afraid of the pit. We want to shortchange the pit. We want to ignore the lessons. We want to forfeit the promises. But the programming is where we really start. And so oftentimes, the way that I get out of the woe is me scenarios, truly, truly, and and I don't want to offend anybody with this, is that I try to go to the service of other people. Because if, if you wrote down, I have loved ones who claim that they have depression, And I challenge them to write down all of their depressive thoughts every day on a piece of paper and then to call me at the end of the night and read them aloud. And about a third of the way down the page, you stop reading out loud because you realize that all of these sentences are selfish. And that's a tough pill to swallow for somebody who's been told by MDs and DRs and DOs and LMNOPs that they have depression. But if you spend tomorrow in the service of other people and you get their shoes to walk in and you get some depth, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden these on the paper go away. I'm not saying it's a magical fix. I'm not saying that you're not going to battle with them or struggle with them. But the programming is where I go back to. We've been programmed with buzzwords, anxious, depression, stressed out. People tell me all the time, they call me, Travis, I'm burnout. I said, bullshit, you're not a candle. Let me tell you what you are. You're uninspired. Yeah. We live by these buzzwords. We've been told so long. We've got these buzzwords. My, my kids, this is a true story. My kids, they're going to listen to this. They're going to roll their eyes. All my kids' friends think I'm cool. They're like, your dad's on Google, right? But my kids are like, oh, you should hear this guy with the chore chart. <laughs> <laughs> so like <laughs> hey being on google is pretty cool yeah i mean like yeah I mean, you know <laughs> they like called me right a and e calls me they want to do my wife wouldn't let me do it this is a true story this is a true story i've never told this story i'm gonna tell this story. breaking news this just in a <laughs> and e calls me they go hey we want to sign an nda we want to do a, a, a television show about you i'm like tv show of course i got a face for radio let's do this <laughs> Um, they send me over the script. They go, we want you to go back in undercover for 90 days. My wife's like, we're divorced. And I'm like, but wait, 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 wait. But for like 2 million, are we still divorced? <laughs> She's like, like, how's the 2 million paid? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I, I, I did have to tell them, no, my wife was like, you're not going back into prison. And I'm like, okay, fine. You're right. It's not <laughs> Anyhow. So my kids come home the other day and they go, they go, I'm stressed. And I'm like, well, that's adorable. Cause you don't, you can't spell stress, but please elaborate. I know as you take your third pair of air Jordans off, I can only imagine how stressful these hardwood floors are on your tiny feet. You tell sir. <laughs> anyhow 
So, you know, they go, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm stressed about my, and so I looked at him, I said, hey, who told you that they were stressed about the test? And he said, oh, so-and-so did. I said, okay. What does so-and-so do when they're stressed? Ah, uh, well, you know, they have this stress ball. I go, oh, isn't that interesting? What do you do when you're stressed? And he's like, I don't know. I said, because you've never been stressed. Because you've never been programmed. So let me walk you through. And I walked him through. He pulled it up. Check it out. This test has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the state. How the, how the individuals who teach you are performing their job. That's it. This doesn't give you a letter grade, an A, B, a C, or a D, or an E, or a P, or an S, or a plus, or a minus. This has nothing to do with you. So quit programming yourself that this is going to have some bearing that would create you stress. We get this way in life. We look at it. We have these buzzwords. People go, I'm anxious. And I go, okay, well, the only reason you're anxious is because you have something that you're thinking might happen. Or when people say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm depressed or I'm sad. Well, that's because you've created something in your mind and it doesn't look that way in your life. You're sad. And that's that whole, you know, I think that this, you know, we, we place labels on ourselves, right? We, we, mm-hmm. And I think we live in a world now where labels are even more important than anything, any other time, right? We have to belong to a group. We have to belong to, you know, I, I was just having this conversation with my daughter the other day. And she was, she's a senior in high school and she's going through all of these friends that are in different, going through different things. The same thing, right? They all have these different, Mm -hmm. different labels they are in, you know, and I I said, what if we just, what if we deleted every label and the only label that we worried about right now was that you were a daughter of God? What if Mm -hmm. that was it? That was the only thing you were concerned about. What would that look like moving forward? Right. I, I, I agree with you. I think that there's this, this, this need to have something that defines us. And that definition, whatever we attach to ourselves, can become something that we can lean on to, to provide a reason or an excuse why we not, why, might not be everything that we can be. Yes. You asked me a question earlier, you know, how do you kind of get out of your head? How do you go through some crap and, and, and all that fun stuff? And so usually when I'm speaking to a large audience, I have them pull out some pieces of paper and we run through some exercises. And, and one of the things that I have them do is I, we write down 78 in the top right-hand corner of your piece of paper or put it on a note in your phone. In North America, in the United States, you know, that's, that is typically the age of a male. That's how many birthdays we get. We get 78 birthdays. We blow out 78 of those candles, 78 trips around the sun. And on the left-hand side of that paper, I want you to write down how many of those you've already burned. There's two words that we always go to the grave of crying about, and that's time and regret. Those, that, that difference between the left and the right, you need to start filling your time with things that you won't regret when that 78 comes, because it's coming. All right, Travis, I, I, I'm going to ask a question. I don't think we've, uh, we haven't touched on this one in a long time, Tyler. And I don't know if I've actually specifically asked this of our guests. Uh, talk to me about time. So mm-hmm. tomorrow's Thursday. What is your, what is your morning routine look like? Great question. Uh, time, time's your superpower. Yeah. Right? Break it my down morning routine. Me. My morning routine is uh, I'm up at 515 every morning, except for Sundays. Um, I, I sleep in with the wife, but 515 every morning and uh, out the door, plus or minus 530. Pardon me. I got something in my eye. 
uh, out the door about 530, 535. Um, and then to the gym just before six and at the gym at six and I'm home uh, right about 730, 745 so that I can take the kids, my kids um, to school and to the bus stop. I take the kids to school. I have two that are in school. Um, and then I come home and that, that next hour that I spend at home, uh, before my work day begins from that eight to 9.00 AM is, is spent on the floor, typically playing Barbies or in a kitchen. Uh, it's a mini kitchen, which I don't fit in and the food, uh, is plastic. So it's a total facade and a scam. Anyhow, um, <laughs> I have, I have a one-year-old that, that crawls all over me and, and wants to give me kisses. And I have a three-year-old boss who is a, a tyrant um, and is in, incredibly just will, will, will give many Eastern European dictators a run for their money. But cute as could be. So you, you know, but I mean, she can, I mean, good gracious. Like I put her in my freaking pocket. She's incredible. She's incredible. My little Addy. Ugh, it's my little, just my little queen bee right there. It's my world. Um, and so that next hour, um, I spend on the floor with, with those two little girls and make sure that they know that make sure that my kids know every morning. I, I, I after my kids get on the bus, um, they both have their little gab watches. I send them both a text message that morning um, to my daughter. I usually let her her know that she can take over the world and that, that there's no limitations to my and to my son. I usually tell him to get his crap together. Um, and, and, uh, but again, I'm right. That kind of goes to programming, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And so that, that's, that's my morning, you know, six days out of the week. It, 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 I have to get my, my mind, right. I have so much going on. We do have a lot of investments and we, we do have a lot going on and, you know, married and four children and, and church callings and, you know, all of the stuff that goes with life. I need to make sure my mind is right first. And that's been my go-to my therapy in the morning is, is to get my head right. And it's really where, you know, I've been able to write a lot of my talks and, and, and my, my, my notes for my books and, you know, my church lessons, you know, they really happen in the morning when I'm going through some pain and some struggling and, and really sweating it. I, I tell my wife all the time, I need a shirt. If anybody wants to make it, you can send me a, an email. I want a shirt that says, uh, um, sweat creates sanity. And so, so that's my, that's my morning routine. Um, I get my mind right. I get my body right. I come back I make sure the kids get off to school. I usually cook breakfast. I love to cook, um, you know, make sure that they've got the right foods that they hate to eat, but they eat them and, uh, and get them to school and then play with my two little ones in the kitchen or on the Barbies. So Travis, you mentioned, uh, some of your writings and things. How can, how can people find your work? Man, so well, they can go to jail. You could do that. They can go to prison you, and they can get access to your curriculum. Yeah, Let's give them the, a second option, though, just in case. If you're looking yeah. for a, a, a sabbatical, <laughs> some some may call it a little time away from the kids, um, <laughs> a little reprieve. But <laughs> yeah, um, you know. So so we have a, a program. It's called Convicted Mindset convictedmindset.com. That is our platform. In order to make a change in life, you must be convicted mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. You, you've never met anybody who landed in the scriptures who was, you know, kind of sort of interested. Um, you know, they've all been committed. And in order to make a change, that's what we believe you need to be. And so 
convictedmindset.com is is our coaching platform where we take people who are really struggling with some stuff or stuck. Um, and then if you're just looking for a little bit of wit and humor and some family photos and a whole bunch of prison curriculum, you can find me on Instagram at I am Travis Ritchie and it's R I C H E Y. Awesome. We talked a little bit about your, about your parents. How do you honor them today? Yeah. So I think when I look back and I, and I put my mom's struggles into context and, and making sure that what she went through was never for naught. I want to make her know, I want to make her proud and, and have her know that all of the things that she went through have made me the best father that I could be. And I want to make sure that my mom knows that all of the choices that she had to make didn't have any reflection on who she was or at the time. You know, my mom endured 20 years of, of pain and heartache you know, because of my father and trying to figure out life. And I think sometimes we carry that with us, you know, the sins of the father and and we look at ourselves through a different lens, but I honor my mom by giving all that I have to my children, the way that she gave all that she had to us. Is there anyone else that you want to honor? You mentioned Quaid, you mentioned (laughs) Melissa, you talked about your children, anybody else that that, uh, you'd like to honor as you stand where you stand in your life right now, looking back. Yeah. Denise and Quaid. Absolutely. Denise and Quaid Nelson have been, you know, guiding lights for, for myself and for my family, um, like surrogate parents and surrogate grandparents to my children and, and people that I'm eternally grateful for, you know, and Melissa, uh, I am, I am writing a book and, and in that book, you know, she will kill me for writing this chapter on her, but and it'll be a great book when I'm dead. So, you know, it's, I really, I really look back and, you know, Melissa and I are, are, are very beauty and the beast. You know, there's really no reason that we belong together. She comes from a, you know, perfect little household in a perfect little city and, you know, is perfectly manicured and put together. And, you know, and then there's this guy fairly, you know, dumpster fire-ish. Um, I can and, relate to that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like you're reading my biography, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I'm like, this woman is perfect, but her decision-making skills are good. <laughs> questionable. Questionable. Yeah, questionable. For sure. No. But, uh, you know, M- Melissa's guiding light has always been to be the greatest mother on the planet. And for us, that's what makes us work so perfectly. Um we, we both have a relationship with our savior and we know that each one of us is equally yoked in that relationship. That's what keeps us going through the good, through the bad, through the thick and the thin. We have uh, friends who, you know, and, and, and relatives who are in unhappy marriages. And I tell my wife all the time, I would rather take my 15 months than a life sentence of unhappiness with a spouse. Mm-hmm. And so we're grateful for that every single day. And, uh, you know, what, what Melissa has brought to me, Melissa brought to my life, all of the, all of the balance, all of the ability to let everybody know that you can be vulnerable and you can be strong and that you can have an identity that allows you to, to not only help others, but also to heal yourself in today's world. We kind of have this crab in the bucket theory. Like if, if I let someone get ahead of me or on top of me, or if they take some of my pie, they might diminish me or my light. Melissa is somebody who's just constantly looking 
to help other people shine. And I love that about her because it, it forces me to, to continue to find ways to give away and to serve. So we've had a beautiful life. We've had a great run. And so hopefully, you know, we've, uh, we've imparted a little bit of wisdom to the people out there that are listening and applied a little bit of balm or some salve. If you're going through some painful things, um, well, Travis, it's been, it's been amazing, man. And I, I've, I've loved it. It's, it, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and uh, putting up with Mike and I, that's for sure. It's been, uh, it's <laughs> it was been a blast, man. It's it was a ton blast. of fun. You just add these two hours to your 17,000 hours of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of, of yeah, unhappiness. Just like, <laughs> another part of the sentence, man, right here <laughs> on RMIT. But, you know, Travis, we, we end, uh, we end every episode, uh, with our guests with the same question. Um, you know, this, this podcast has really been about talking to people who, who are living their lives in a way that, that they're, they're finding richness, right? They're finding ways to identify the, the blessings in their life. And so to you, Travis, what does it mean to be considered the richest man in town? Wow. To be considered the richest man in town. Somewhere on the planet right now, there's a human having a tough time or about to have a tough time who needs to hear your story and your pain and your sorrow. And more importantly, your triumphs so that their burden can lighten and that their bitterness can subside somehow. But most importantly, as you tell your story, your soul can heal. And to be the richest man in town, I envision myself one day, having other people recognize me, not because of the impact that I've had in their life, but because of the impact that somebody else has had in their life by my story. Mm. That's what I would consider to be the richest man in town. I love it. And we've been doing this for over a hundred episodes and I'm, I'm amazed every time we get a unique answer. Yeah. I, I dig I, that. Yeah, what a it's been so much fun, Travis. I I really can't tell you how uh, how grateful I am for your time and for the the opportunity to spend some time and learn from you. And I've taken just a couple pages of notes here, and <laughs> and uh, and I and I appreciate all, all of the all that you've shared tonight. It's been it's been great, man. It's been likewise, great. gentlemen. Likewise, thank you for your time. Yeah, I, I appreciate you too. I'm going to spend some time in my uh, early morning looking at my programming. I love yeah, it. You know, I think that that I think that that's a powerful, powerful lesson among among other things. And I really, I really love uh, that core principle of identity. You know, and you said it can come down to one word. And I think that the key for us, and man, if we can, I, I think the programming actually stumbles on it. Uh, you know, we're always struggling with like how to disrupt ourselves without the diagnosis, how to disrupt ourselves without the adversity. How do we? How do we reap the benefits without the prison sentence, right? And I think that um, that programming piece stumbles on that a little bit. Like, I think that as we are intentional about that messaging, that internal messaging that, you know, Tyler, we're always talking about the script running between your ears. What is that script? And if you hold the pen there and you can write that script and write it a powerful program, then you can, you can overcome nature, that yeah. nature versus nurture, right? You can drive, you can, you can be driven by that divine wind to that promised land. And it's just 
so many things I'm loving about your life, Travis, and your work. So uh, keep going, right? Keep going. Yeah. You're not done. You're not at that 78 yet. Not even close. You got a few course, more, when man. Your wife, when your wife reads that chapter, you're going to be a little short of that 78. A little bit closer. A <laughs> little bit closer. Yeah. Well, hey, man, it's been fun. Make sure you tell Melissa that we said uh, thank you for letting us borrow you for a couple hours tonight. We know your time is valuable, and 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 we're we're grateful. Likewise, gentlemen. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. Good luck. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs>